Before we begin this morning, I want to say a special word of thanks to Pastor Moises. Did he do a phenomenal job last week? I was so encouraged uh, by his preaching, and uh, he's been working really hard on his English. So for your benefit, and so I'm so grateful for his dedication to not only know the word, but to, to learn a new language for the blessing of our church. So I just want to say a special thanks to our brother for him preaching last week while Jordan and I and our families were on vacation. I want to ask you a question this morning that I think is prompted by our passage, the end of chapter 4 of the Gospel of Matthew. It's a challenging question, and a question that all of us, I'm guessing if we're in this room today, have been forced to ask of ourselves. Here's the question. Are you prepared? Are we prepared to follow Jesus? Are we prepared to follow Jesus? Are we prepared to do the work of the kingdom? I think about what we talked about last week together and the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by the evil one, even though he was led there by the Lord. And it reminds me of a pattern, a pattern that we see throughout the scriptures of, of great leaders from the people of God who had seasons of preparation, who were led to places like the wilderness to encounter God in a mighty way in order to be prepared to do the greater work that God had set out before them. Moses spent some time in the wilderness like Jesus, all that leading up to the moment where God would encounter him in the burning bush. Joseph spent time in a prison, years in fact, before he was brought forward to step into the plan that God had for him in Egypt. The people of God themselves wandered for 40 years in a wilderness as God brought judgment upon them, their lack of faithfulness, but also prepared them to take the land that God had promised them through the covenant he made with Abraham. And now Jesus himself has this this moment of preparation, making him ready to step into his earthly ministry. It seems like the Bible is telling us that there is a need for God's people to experience the sustaining work of God in order to be about the kingdom work that he has set apart for us. We need to experience in small ways the sustaining work of God in order for us to remain faithful when we need him to sustain us in more difficult times. Jesus certainly knew of this, but as our new Adam and our better Moses, he needed to picture for us what was needed in order to be prepared for the work of ministry that God had called him to and is now calling us to as we follow Jesus and we follow the kingdom work that God has entrusted to us through him. And in our passage today, we see why. We see why this preparation is needed. We, we see why we need to ask this question of ourselves. Are we ready to follow Jesus? Because following Jesus is difficult. Being about the, the work of the kingdom is difficult. We're going to see that in the Gospel of Matthew. There are moments of celebration. There are moments of victory, yes, but there are a ton of moments where it is very hard. And the people you think should be accepting of Jesus are actively rejecting him all the way to the cross. The work of the kingdom is not easy. It's difficult. It's demanding. 
How could it not be, right? We're talking about something cosmic. Powers and principalities at war for something eternal. There is a war going on that we are a part of as we follow Jesus and engage in the work of building his kingdom. To follow Jesus may cost you everything. And the question is, are you ready for that? Are you prepared to give up everything to follow Christ and be about his work? That's the question the text asks of us today. But here's the good news. The text also reminds us of why following Jesus is worth it. Why it's needed and why it's worth it. And I hope this morning you'll be able to count the cost. To hear the call that God has made through Jesus to us, consider what it may cost us to follow him, but then ultimately say whatever it costs, I know it's worth it. I'm going to make my life about this work. Let's see this morning how the Bible confronts us with this question in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. Here's what the word of God says. Now when he, Jesus, heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, we read that earlier, might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus, fulfilling the prophecy, began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that message sound familiar? It's the same message that John the Baptist was preaching. Now Jesus has embraced it. He's continuing this ministry. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. And immediately, they left their boat their father, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people so that his fame spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This passage marks the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. There's been a, a transition from preparation to action put in motion by the arrest of John the Baptist. What, what John the Baptist prophesied about, Jesus is now fulfilling Another promised fulfillment in the, the book of Matthew. But this transition, 
This move from promise to fulfillment comes with a, a sobering moment as Matthew wants us to consider the cost of following Jesus. There's a sobering moment here to help us evaluate what it is that we are being asked to consider as we read the testimony of the message of Jesus. You see, in this passage, Jesus offers a call. A call directed to the disciples initially, but one that we all must wrestle with. Jesus says to them in verse 19, echoed in verse 21, follow me. Follow me. This is more than a request. And the response of these men showed that. It's not just some random dude driving down the street yelling out from his cart, his buggy with a donkey, hey, come get on board. Now, there's something different happening here. There's a different level of authority that comes with this call because of the one who is issuing the call. There's something about Jesus that makes his calling to follow him different. And we've been learning about why he is different throughout our time in the Gospel of Matthew. This is what Matthew's been preparing us to see, that this Jesus is different. So what is he been showing us that would help us understand why his call to follow him is different than anyone else's call in the history of the world? Well, in Matthew chapter one, we learned that Jesus is the promised savior, the Messiah, the anointed one, the true heir of the promise to Abraham, the true heir of the, the kingdom of David. He's the new Moses. Matthew chapter 2, we see that, that God has orchestrated this sovereignly, this moment over the wise and, and to be able to shepherd those who are weak, that, that Jesus has come to inaugurate a new exodus a new end to the, the mournful exile of the people of God, and that he will love his fiercest enemies, drawing them to himself for the glory of God. And Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is shown to be the Savior King and the righteous judge. He's filled with the spirits and approved by the Father. In Matthew chapter 4, he is shown to be the new Adam and the true Israel. He is the light of of the world, and he is the hope for all people. So yes, it is different when he says, follow me. It's different when the incarnate son of God stands before you and says, hey, all the promises you've been longing for that God has stirred in your heart through the faithful witness of his people, I am the fulfillment I'm doing a new work, and I want you to come and be a part of this. I want you to, to latch on. I want you to let me teach you. I want you to let me to show you the reality of the kingdom that God is building so that when I leave, you can push it forward, and the world will never be the same. Yes, something different is happening here. When Jesus calls, it's not something you can ignore. These men dropped their nets and immediately immediately, the Bible says, responded. And in that moment, and in the way the passage is introduced, Matthew begins to challenge us, not only with the call, but the cost of the call. Matthew wants you to consider not only the greatness of the person, the God-man, Jesus, issuing this call, he also wants you to consider the cost of following him. It's very different than, than sometimes we consider 
when we're asked to follow Jesus. We talk a lot about all that we get. And there are a lot of incredible things that we receive when we follow Jesus faithfully. But friends, there's also a cost. There's also a cost. There's sacrifice required to follow Jesus. The calling of Christ is dangerous and demanding. We see the danger of it in the testimony of John the Baptist. This passage begins with the fact that John the Baptist has been arrested. And in his story, we see a foretaste of a continuing story that will happen throughout the Gospel of Matthew as people who prepare the way for Christ and who are following Christ have their very freedoms threatened. We learn later in the Gospel of Matthew why John the Baptist was arrested. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 12, Herod Antipas has done something immoral, and John the Baptist calls him out on that immorality. And he's so threatened by John the Baptist's popularity and the fear of an uprising against him, which would threaten his standing before the Roman Empire, that he arrests him, and at the request of someone involved in this immorality, cuts off his head. It cost John the Baptist his life. Following Jesus, being about the work of the kingdom, friends, is dangerous because you are threatening the different kingdom, the kingdom of this world. The gospel, listen, is good news to those who are being saved. And I hope you know that. I hope that you've seen that as we've talked about the gospel a great deal at our church, and we'll continue to talk about the gospel until Christ returns because it's so important for us as the people of God to be reminded what God has done for us in Christ. It is good news to those who are being saved. I rejoice at the grace that God has shown us. But to those who are perishing, it is not good news. It is a threat to everything they hold dear. Hear me. Christ's message here in verse 17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, threatens everything human beings believe about themselves apart from Christ. Repent. Why do I need to repent? I'm not that bad. Why do I need, why do I need to trust in God? I can trust in myself. Why do I need to be worried about another kingdom apart from this world? Why can't I just worry about today? We're so blinded by our sin, we don't see the eternal spiritual reality that's surrounding us. And when we hear that message and we're confronted with our sinful reality, if the Holy Spirit is not working in us, we will respond as if it is a threat because it is. For the whole history of the church, there have been people consumed by the kingdom of this world who feel threatened by the kingdom of Jesus and they will do everything in their power under the control of the principalities and powers of this world to come against it. Did you know, friends, which we prayed about it earlier, there are places in the world right now where the message of Christianity is considered dangerous and is actively trying to be extinguished. People gathered today just like us on this Lord's Day all over the world and one in eight Christians face the possibility of losing their life or their freedom as a result of their faithful gathering. Isn't that incredible? Let me just share one of the stories that I 
read earlier this week from Open Door. Open Door Ministry is a, a Christian ministry that partners with the persecuted church around the world. And uh, this story is from a faithful pastor in Ethiopia. And it caught my attention because we have a partnership in Ethiopia. And I thought, what better thing to remind us of the, the danger that some of our brothers and sisters are in right now around this world and to remind us that we have people who are actively engaged in ministry in an area of the world that is seeing oppression. This is a story about a guy, a pastor, faithful pastor named Pastor Adane, who for the last 20 years has served the church in the Muslim-majority region of Ethiopia in the north. He's pastoring a church that's made up of mostly converts from Islam to Christianity. And as a result of that, some Muslim leaders in his area have taken notice. And even though he tries to keep it as covert as possible without being disobedient to the Lord, the Muslim leaders in his area began to notice that all of these people who were leaving Islam and moving to Christianity were all connected to him. And so they began to pursue him. And he tells about one afternoon where he was going to his office or leaving his office. And as he was leaving his office, just outside of his gate, someone came up from behind him, punched him in the face, and knocked him out. Luckily, there was a guard nearby who helped him. And he escaped relatively unharmed. And it was just a few days later that those same men came back and they targeted him again. He recalls, on the way home, I walked past a mosque. And these three men, their faces covered, approached me and started asking, why are you doing this to our religion and our people? And he answered, I, I don't want to harm anyone. These questions weren't new. He had received them often, but these men pushed him to the ground. One shouted, kick him, kick him. The other guy kicked him in the head with his shoes. They repeatedly kicked him and they struck him in his ear and they did irreparable damage to his ear. At the same time, the very people who attacked him in the street, their sons, their children attacked his six-year-old son at their school. He also talks about how the leaders, the, the Muslim leaders in their community refuse in this time of COVID to allow their people to sell the goods needed to protect themselves, the medicines needed to help recover from COVID to anyone who's a Christian. Everything's worse because of their commitment to Christianity. Friends, we cannot forget that the calling to follow Jesus is dangerous. I don't know what it's going to cost you, but it's going to cost you something. Sacrifice is demanded for those of us who follow Jesus because he sacrificed, and we are not greater than our master, right? It's dangerous and it's demanding, right? We see the example of John the Baptist. We also see the example of the disciples who are being called. Look again at verses 18 to 22. These guys are just minding their own business. They're fishermen and they're fishing. And here comes this guy, Jesus, and says, hey, I want you to forget everything you've ever known. I want you to follow me. And do you know what they do? They drop their nets. How incredible is that? I want you to think about the amount of sacrifice they are offering here, everything they have ever known about life, everything they have prepared for in their life, their family, the place that they live, they are willing to give it all up 
to follow Jesus, to be about a greater work, not just fishing for fish. Because who would want to give their life to that? Because fish are nasty, right? Just kidding, John Griffin, sorry. But to fish for men and women for the glory of God. I'm so challenged by this example. I want us to think about this. How many of us in this room, how many of us watching online today, would be willing to sacrifice our dreams, our professional goals, our own aspirations for our work, for a greater work? How many of us would be willing to put aside climbing the corporate ladder in order to see our jobs, our occupations, what we give our life to in a different way? as avenues to build the kingdom of God. Listen, I don't think everybody in this room is gonna be called overseas to go to unreached people group places. Some may be, some have been. We praise the Lord for those who are in this room and have faithfully followed that call to take the gospel to places it's never been. But many of you, most of you, are gonna be called to be missionaries in a different context. You're gonna be called to be missionaries in your workplace in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your families. And it's important for us to recognize that following Jesus means that we are his representatives in those places. And although we can be careful, we also have to weigh the fact that following Jesus is costly. Think about this. What if for the firemen in the room, what if Jesus is saying to you, great, I want you to save people from fires and save their belongings from fires, but at the very same time, I want you to help save people from a greater fire. What if to the teachers in this room, I don't want you to teach math or economics. I want you to use your platform to teach students about the economy of God's kingdom. To those who are involved in finance, I don't want you just to help people store up treasures here and, and be good stewards of their money here. I want you to help people understand how to store up treasures in heaven. For all of us, would you be willing to use your degree, whatever it is that God is calling you, to be a missionary in the workforce here, or maybe even use your degree to go to a country that is closed where Christians cannot go overtly in, but you can get a job there and you can be a light in the midst of that darkness. Would you be even willing to use your talents and abilities for God's kingdom purposes in that way? I think about my time in college, which unfortunately was almost half my lifetime ago. <laughs> Getting old. And I had it all planned out. I was gonna go to LSU because it's the greatest school in the history of the world. I was going to get my English degree, and I was going to go to law school, and I was going to make a lot of money. And I was going to do good stuff. I was going to help, you know, the church and that kind of stuff, but I was going to be about that dream. And I remember as the Lord continued to open doors to serve in ministry and serve in missions, and the Lord just saying, Jared, what if you used your English degree for another purpose? What if you didn't use it to go to law school, but what if you used it to study the Word of God? and to, to help the people of God know more about the word of God. Would you be willing to do that? And how could I say no when the Lord called? That was not my plan, friends. I in no way wanted to be in ministry. I had a very different plan for my life, and yet God called me to set it aside. I don't know what he's going to ask you to do. 
But following Jesus is costly. It will cost you something. It's dangerous. It's demanding. But, hear me, it is worth it. The costly call is worth it. In this passage, we not only see the call, we not only hear the call of Jesus, we not only get to consider the cost, we get a glimpse of the work that this kingdom will be about, reminding us why it is worth it. Friends, Jesus came to be light in the midst of darkness, according to verse 16. He's quoting here Isaiah chapter 9. And the people at that time were preparing for great darkness. There was a a foreign army that was about to come in and, and overtake the people of God under God's judgment. And God was promising them, there's going to be a time where I'm going to deliver you from this oppression. I'm going to deliver you from this judgment. And in that promise, there was a greater promise also being given to the people of God. There was a, a greater oppression that God was going to deliver them from with a greater deliverer whose name is Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me this morning. Since the fall of man, we have been living in great darkness. I don't know if there's ever been a history or time in the history of the world that has been more mindful of that than the year 2020, right? I mean, it's so crazy, the darkness that is all around us, the, the evidence of sin's brokenness that is all around us. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Once in a generation, once in a hundred years, pandemic. One half of our, a, a whole coast of our country is on fire. Another part of our country was just overwhelmed by a hurricane. In our country alone, we are so divided based on political ideologies and the color of our skin and the desire to throw off any kind of authority, seeing all authority as bad. There are so many evidences of sin and darkness and brokenness right now rearing its ugly head. And it's not just 2020. It's from the time sin entered the world. Darkness has overrun this world. And yet, the Bible tells us, this is good news, you ready? And the midst of that darkness has shown a great light. And his name is Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All around us, there's death, disease, division, strife, poverty, fear, anxiety, destruction. The curse of sin is all around us. But now, so is the hope of the gospel. Every effect of sin... Every bit of the wake of sin will be undone through the work of Christ. And what we get to see here at the end of this passage is a foretaste of what Christ will do, what we'll be a part of, and what ultimately will be fully completed when Christ returns and he will make all things new. Look at verses 23 to 25. It's incredible. Jesus went throughout Galilee. He taught in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's where he began. Teaching the people, hey, here's what God is going to do. Here's what he's promised you. Here's why I'm here. I'm gonna bring the fulfillment of all God's promises to you. I hope that you're excited about the kingdom that God is building. And then, in addition to his teaching ministry, the spiritual work, he started doing a physical work, healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. He, they brought in the sick, those afflicted with diseases and pains, those even oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and Christ healed them all. The Bible says great crowds were drawn to him 
drawn to him because of this work that Jesus is doing. I want you to see here the hope that Christ is offering. He's showing the faithfulness of God and faithfully teaching the promises of God and their fulfillment in Christ. He's he's revealing the character and the nature and the goodness of God. He's allowing people in him to behold the glory of God the Father, full of grace and truth, to be about the spiritual work of building the kingdom. But listen to this. In order to show his spiritual power and his ability to heal us spiritually, to do this great work of undoing the curse, he attaches his teaching to these physical miracles. So that the physical miracles, the physical displays of power affirm his spiritual power so people take notice these are not just empty words these are not just words of another prophet something new and different is happening here in the same way that jesus will release these people from their oppression from their dealing with the consequences of sin here at the end of Matthew chapter 4, he will also release them from a greater oppression, a greater sickness, a greater darkness through the work of the gospel. And people are responding. They're coming. And not just Jewish people, friends. Gentiles. The whole world is being drawn to Jesus. People from Syria. It's a primarily Gentile area as well as the Decapolis. Incredible crowds are being drawn to Jesus because of his message and because of the work that he does. But Matthew wants you to know, not everyone who comes will be a disciple. There's a difference between the crowds and the disciples. A lot of people are gonna come when there's healing to be offered, especially in that day, right? They don't have modern medicine. People are gonna be drawn to that. They're gonna check this, this guy, Jesus, out. But just because you're a, a part of the crowd does not mean you're a part of a disciple. A disciple is one who not only sees the benefit, but also counts the cost and says, I'm willing to follow him anyway because it's worth it. I think it's important how Matthew has structured this section in his gospel that the, the blessing of the kingdom is featured after a reminder of the cost. It's not often what you hear in Christianity today, is it? We talk a lot about the benefit of, of following Christ. We talk a lot about the, the blessing of following Christ, and that's certainly that. Unfortunately, I think oftentimes we, we confuse the blessing of Jesus with the American dream, and we've promised you everything you want as an American, and we've just said, hey, Jesus will get you the same place. So that's not what Christianity talks about at all. There's an eternal blessing. There's an eternal glory that awaits the people of God. And we get a foretaste of that here. But friends, your fulfillment in Jesus was never meant to be completely fulfilled here. You were always made for something greater, another place that he is actively preparing for you even now as he sits before the right hand of the Father. Is there blessing in following Christ? Absolutely. But is there sacrifice here? Yes. Is there a cost? Yes. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we ready? Are we prepared to follow Jesus? 
If we're like John the Baptist and we lose our freedom or maybe our head, are we still willing to follow Christ? There are people around the, the world, are there are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who have answered that question with a yes. I hope you're challenged by that. I hope you're encouraged by that. What excuse do we have, friends? And the freedom that we enjoy here, what excuse do we have for not being faithful to be representatives of Christ to our neighbors, our coworkers, our, our fellow students, our family members? Jared, it may cost me a friendship. Okay. Jared, it may cost me a promotion. Okay. It may cost me an awkward dinner. Okay, we have those anyway. It's costly. It may cost you your career goals, your dreams, your aspirations, but friends, in the scope of eternity, it's worth it. It's worth it. And when you realize how lost we were, how broken we were, how in the midst of darkness we were, and what God has done for us, if all we have is Christ, that's more than enough. Are you ready? Prepared to follow Jesus? Are you prepared to be about this work? In the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see a lot of great things happen. We're also going to see a lot of tragic things happen. And that will continue to be the story of the church until Christ returns. But the good news is we know how it will end. And we know the glory that awaits. And that should sustain us in the face of any cost that following him here could bring. How can we respond today to this message, this passage of Scripture. I just want to ask you a few more questions to help you navigate a response under the inspiration, empowerment, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Situated underneath this larger question of, are you prepared to, to follow Christ? Let me first ask you this. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you heard the call of Christ and responded in repentance and belief? Some of you out there Maybe it would say no, and you would say, Jared, it's, it, it would cost me too much. It's too costly. I can't give up that much to follow Jesus. But let me ask you this. Have you ever considered the cost if you don't follow Jesus? Because while it may be costly here to follow Jesus, imagine the cost on the other side of this life if you haven't followed Jesus. Are you willing to endure with discomfort here for an eternity of comfort and the presence of God and the glory of the Son? Or are you settling for comfort here for an eternity of discomfort separated from God and a sinner's hell? Discomfort doesn't even do it justice to what we will experience if we are apart from Christ in eternity. Yes, there may be sacrifice needed here to be about the work of God, but I promise you, in the face of eternity, it is worth it. Will you follow Jesus? Will you give your life to him? I'm not just talking about being a part of the crowd. I'm talking about being a disciple. If you are a follower of Jesus, are you actively following him? Have you dropped everything to follow him? 
Whatever your, your dreams, your goals, your aspirations, your, your work, whatever it is that God's called you to, are you, are you putting that in the hands of King Jesus to use as he sees fit for his kingdom? Some of you may be called to go overseas. And I praise the Lord for the faithful ministry of this church to sending out missionaries all over the world. But the great majority of you are going to be called to stay right here in DFW. But I want you to know there's a great mission field here in DFW. And the nations are coming to DFW. That means we've got to be faithful wherever God plants us to follow Jesus and to look like we're following Jesus. Are you following Christ? And let me just say this. If following Jesus has not cost you something, you may not be doing it right. I want you to consider that. Thirdly, are we as the people of God actively working to set right all that is wrong? Being about the work of the kingdom, giving glimpses of the kingdom to people around us. Here's what I believe. The church, the gathered body of Christ, is the clearest display of the kingdom of God on earth. What people see when they see us gathered should be a glimpse of what will be when Jesus makes all things new. We should, we should be a, a place where the kingdom of heaven is firmly established on, the king, on, on, on this planet for the world to see. Is that true of us? Are we looking beyond skin color and and political ideology and preference with great love for one another, supernatural love for one another? Are we unified under the, the banner of Jesus Christ? Are we devoting our energies and our, our talents and our, our treasure to the king of the universe so that people can see what it looks like and the joy that comes in the face of even difficult circumstances to sit under the rule and reign of King Jesus. May what is happening outside of these walls never take place in them and may people look to the church to fix what's happening outside of its walls because of how united and committed we are in the, the gospel. And finally, are you longing for the day when Jesus will return to finish what he began and make everything new. If 2020 has not shown you the limitations of this life, I don't know what will. I hope it's stirring your heart for something greater, a reality that can't be touched by rust, fire, water, sickness, disease, enmity, despair, anxiety, loss, or death. The kind of future that awaits those of us who are in Christ. Don't set your hope too much on this world. Because even though 2020 has been bad, it can get a lot worse. And it will. And it will. Our hope is better situated on another place. Amen? And let's pray that our our hearts would be pointed there rightly. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Ask the, the Lord to help you know how to respond using those questions. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you prepared to be about this kingdom work? It is glorious, but it is costly.
Father, we want to be a faithful people. We want to be an outpost of the kingdom of heaven right here in Irving. Would you help us be that kind of people who have heard your call, who have counted the cost, and have declared to, declare to the world around us that it's worth it? Father, our lives we hold with open hands and we place them in yours. Would you use them however you see fit for your glory? If there's anybody here or watching online who for the first time today has heard the call of Christ to follow, God, would they repent of their sin and the life that was for their own glory? And would they believe in Christ alone for salvation? and commit to live under his rule and reign until he returns. And would you help us disciple them to walk faithfully, not as a part of a crowd, as a true disciple of the one King Jesus. Help us to be about that work until you return, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. However you need to respond, we're going to give you some time to do that right now. So let's stand and certainly let's sing to our God who is worthy.